0: Today's episode centers on the collision of COVID-19 and consumerism in healthcare. We're going to welcome back Chris Bevelo. Chris is a brand and consumerism guru at Revive Health. I go way back with Chris. He has an excellent mind for these sort of things. He's going to reference some deep thinking he's done on the next decade of branding and marketing in healthcare. Really interesting stuff. He's got some bold proclamations about the virtual care movement. You're even going to be introduced to the term smaller life spheres. It's really a refreshing interview and it gets us out of the COVID loop we've been stuck in lately. And gives us some thoughts on what's happening on the wider horizon. Let's go ahead and give it a listen.
1: Patient No Longer is a podcast featuring leaders in healthcare who are inspiring a positive shift in the customer experience and human understanding. In this podcast, we interview people who are from all areas of healthcare that are impacting the healthcare consumer journey of care.
0: My name is Ryan Donahue, solutions expert and strategic advisor with NRC Health, and it's a pleasure to host Patient No Longer, a podcast in search of what's new, what's next, and what makes healthcare human again. Chris Bevelo is joining us. Hello, Chris.
1: Hello, Ryan. Great to be here.
0: Wonderful to have you. We're going to be talking about post-COVID-19 consumerism, COVID is on the mind and in the conversations of everyone right now. We can't escape an hour of our lives without thinking about it. This time will be no different, but we want to talk about moving beyond it. Obviously right now as an industry, because of what we're dealing with in terms of the Delta variant and surges and just the absolute decimation of certain hospitals and areas on this, it is very top of mind. It feels like it'll never end. This challenge to get in front of some of these things, message to our community, promote ourselves, start a relationship with the people who are going to be patients. You've done some recent work, Chris, on the next decade and what that's going to mean. And I found it refreshing, by the way, especially now to read some of those sort of things. I have to ask you, as we emerge from COVID, when do you see healthcare brands shifting away from that COVID messaging that's been on a loop for 18 months? When do we start to see a break from that? and What are some indicators we could look for?
1: This just feels like deja vu, Ryan. It feels like it's whatever, late September, 2020, and we're like, the spring of 2021, we'll be through all this, we'll be through the flu season, we'll be coming out of it, we'll have the vaccines by then, we'll all be good, right? Here we are a year later, and that's the same answer. I mean, I just don't see us really moving on from COVID as the number one driver of time, energy, resources in the health system space until the spring. We see Delta, thankfully, starting to do this a little bit, but we still haven't seen the full implication of kids being in school. We're hitting into the flu season. And I've been reading how, you know, last year the flu season was kind of a dud in a good way, but that's because we were so locked down, masked up, staying away from each other. That's gone away in a lot of places. So there's a real fear. This was like the lead story in our local paper yesterday from local providers that the flu is going to hit hard this year. So with all of that, I don't know how we get through the winter in any better shape until we hit spring. So I would say, hopefully.
0: Fingers crossed.
1: 2022.
0: If you're listening, Chris is crossing his fingers. Hopefully we don't do another episode in the fall of 2022 where you're saying, listen, spring 2023 is looking. Lambda.
1: When will Uh, Lambda go away? When will you? Like an evil sorority out there.
0: (laughs) Right, the names are are getting (laughs) outlandish, but you make a great point. You know, we may be living with this. We may be dealing with this to a degree. We're seeing in NRC Health with some of the studies that there is some COVID fatigue among consumers. If I hear one more commercial about taking, you know, all of the necessary precautions and this unparalleled, unprecedented times, you know, that they're done with a lot of that. So I guess my next question would be, even if the pandemic is still around in some form, what do healthcare brands need to be doing to just start that pivot? Do they have to talk about COVID half the time and they talk about some new differentiator? I mean, in your mind, what what do they need to be doing to start inching away from this, at least in their message?
1: Yeah, it's really important. It's a really important balance because you don't want to, a lot of this depends on where you're at. Obviously, if you're in a state that's really struggling, you know, we hear about like Idaho and Alaska is two examples most recently. The southern states just still really struggling. That's very different than well, where I live in, in Minnesota, though hospitalizations are at the highest point they've been in the pandemic. It's not like you don't hear about it like it's a crisis like you do in those other states. It all depends on that, right? You don't want to get out ahead of it. Because if they can't get in for regular services, you shouldn't be promoting your brand or your service lines, right? And that's the case in a lot of these situations. They're having to turn off elective services again. You kind of have to wait until you're able to handle normal patient flow. And what normal means may never be the same. You may have to stretch out visits. You may have to expand your waiting rooms, doing more in virtual, unless you're just head in the sand on that. So... What all that looks like going forward, it will be different. We can talk about that if you want. What I will say is once it stops becoming a crisis for you as a system, meaning you're not having your crisis meetings, you're not having your EDs overflow, your ICU is starting to open up a little bit, leadership, while still keeping an eye on that stuff for Lambda Moo or whatever else comes along, should really start thinking about what are we doing next? It'll probably be like the seasonal flu. Where, you know, when there's bad flu years, that's also can, you know, you get hospitals diverting from EDs during bad flu season. So we'll probably always deal with that, but not like this, not not the national conversation still for the most part.
0: Right. It, it saps a certain amount of energy just as a prerequisite before you're even at work. And I think you're absolutely right. Depending on the area, if beds are full, you're not focusing on strategy. Your five year strategic plan has become a five day strategic plan. Yeah. And I think you're right too. If, if you're in those meetings all day, that's where your headspace is. For the people out there who are either in an area that's not doing as poorly or will emerge from this and go through a surge and come out the other end, and they've now got a little bit of mental space. To start thinking about this, whether they're an operations, marketing, leadership role, whatever it might be. If you were them, what do you start thinking about in terms of your brand? You know, we've talked about brand in the past, and you're an expert on healthcare branding. The positioning of we can handle COVID is not a brand position, it's going to last forever, thankfully. So, um, what do you need to start thinking about? Do you pick up something from 2019? Do you decide that there's something new you need to explore? Do you pivot out of COVID specifically. I mean, what are you doing if you're that person who's starting to see a little break in the clouds?
1: Yeah, this is why like that balance is really important because if you're out too far ahead of this, there's going to be a dissonance between what you're talking about and the reality of the situation. If you wait too long and you continue to talk about COVID, people are going to just be like blah, people don't want to hear about it anymore now, even though the deaths are still, you know, in a terrible place. You got to make sure you have that right balance. And what I would say is The way we talk about this is you need to think about the pandemic like World War II, like the Great Depression, 9-11 to a degree. This is a once in a century kind of event where we will emerge and not just our industry, but our entire society is going to be changed in dramatic ways and sometimes permanently. And so to think that you're going to go back to whatever the heck you were doing in 2019 and just pick that that is the one thing you can't do. You may end up deciding that that's the right thing as long as you've put the right thought and study into things in terms of how the market is changing. But I would guess it it's not. I think
0: that makes a lot of sense. I, you know I think it could be a scary time to think about, you know if you've been a marketer or you've been someone who's controlled the messaging around Covid to this point, you know, you've probably gotten some of that down. And then you look at the point where, wow, you know, people are out doing things again. I've got to attract people to elective surgeries. What's that like? And I think you do a great job of cautioning people against, you know, just revisiting what worked in 2019, because it will never be the same. In fact, though, on the balance piece, I was just watching a commercials for a travel thing. And it was like, now that we're ready to come out and travel again. And it was like a bunch of people at a pool. And I think there's a cruise ship docked in the background. And I was like, I think the kids would call that like super cringe, right? It was like, oh boy, you know, they produced that in like March or April, you know, it got on the ad by late. So we definitely want to avoid those sort of situations. Let me ask you about something specific that does seem like it has a timestamp on it. Maybe it's already done, but I am interested to get your take on this from a consumer point of view. And that is the healthcare heroes movement. So for years in our consumer research at NRC Health, we'd see that people you know, respected caregivers, they liked them, didn't always know a lot about what they did, didn't always think about doctors and nurses because, well, you're not in a gown right now. But obviously that changed last year into this year. We saw signs in the yard and we saw videos posted. We saw some of these really interesting looks to the inside of a healthcare brand and the people who deliver care. Does that healthcare heroes movement continue in any way, shape, or form as the pandemic stops being everything we think about? Does it have life beyond that? Has it already ended? Does it manifest itself into something different in the consumer's mind? What's the future of healthcare heroes?
1: It reminds me of, at least initially, of firefighters out of 9-11. Again, like huge event. Firefighters, I mean, nobody had a problem with firefighters, but they were elevated to this heroic status coming out of 9-11. And I think that's what happened last year with health system workers. I think that is not the case anymore, at least not universally. Unfortunately, you're seeing the opposite, right? I just today saw panic buttons on badges for healthcare workers. And this is not the first system that's had to do that because assaults, the headline said, assaults had tripled. You've got people, you know, like the scenes in Tennessee where the mob is on the car of the doctor who came to speak at the school board. And you're like, okay, There's a significant, not majority, but significant part of the population that sees them as, oh, they're part of the conspiracy. They're part of the whatever, right? That is not going away. I don't think that's going away. Certainly, there are plenty of people, probably the majority, who still look at these folks as heroes. But the truth is, we're now entering a phase with vaccine mandates where who knows where this is going to go, right? Again, another headline this morning is... About racing for thousands of healthcare workers to either quit or be dismissed because they did not meet the vaccine mandate, either as of yesterday or this coming Monday. There already is a shortage, right? And a lot of people look at that and they'll say, like, if you want to talk politically on the other side, you're going to get people that are like, well, how can you dare not take the vaccine and help people? That's your job, right? So, not to pick on one side politically or not, sure, it is a mess. So there is no guarantee that the halo that healthcare workers had last year is something we're going to be able to leverage carrying forward, which is fortunate. I'm trying to imagine how that would have happened to the firefighters after 9-11. But I think for a large population, one side or the other politically, they're going to look at healthcare workers and have negative thoughts. I can't imagine your research a negative perception of healthcare workers. It might be neutral, but not negative.
0: We often found in the trust index that we've been asking for years and years and years that actual human caregivers, whether it was a doctor, a nurse, someone who, a physician's assistant, a pharmacist, somebody in a white coat, were some of the most trusted people pre-COVID. Right. Right. It was when you got into insurance companies and government agencies and, and maybe even the hospitals and health systems as an administration that you saw trust drop precipitously in some cases. I absolutely agree with you. I think, you know, we saw a big boost to that last year. Unfortunately for some folks, and, and our data shows it's the minority, not the majority, that halo has turned into horns. And, and that's unfortunate. And hopefully that goes away quicker than it came. But I think you make a great point. You know, recently, if we're talking about the news, you was something crazy every day. I recently saw that for people who did not take the vaccine, who are losing their jobs, they're in New York State going to be replacing them with National Guard workers. Yes. i got to see the CAPS survey on that. I've got to see, like, how does that affect the patient experience. I mean, that is absolutely wild to me. And if the patient satisfaction goes up, then what do we do with that? I want to ask you, though, let's go to the individual consumer's mind. So I've seen the healthcare signs, I've seen the news, but I personally have not been in to see my physician and the front office staff and the assistant and everybody who is part of that network. When I do walk back in at some point for something, is that a different feeling to me? Is that something that those people on the other side should be getting in front of? Is there something they should be saying to me? Cause we've been through a lot together, but we haven't been together. So yeah. how do you think those one-on-one interactions are going to be in the future?
1: I hate to keep coming back to this. So we have this book coming out, Ryan, it looks at the next 10 years of how consumers will engage healthcare. And one of the themes, and in fact, we have five major predictions And one of them revolves around this, which is the politicalization of healthcare. And so I think the answer is it depends. You know, we interviewed a researcher who said a number of years ago, we never cared about political affiliation when it came to healthcare questions. Like it just didn't matter. Now, the number one correlated indicator of somebody's whether they've taken the vaccine or not is their political affiliation. And that holds true with a lot of other things too. So how that consumer walks in there It may depend just on that. So like I've been in a number of times over the past 18 months, I see these workers as deserving of my empathy. I give them patience. I feel so bad for what they're having to go through, the long hours, the extra work, the loss of staff for one reason or the other. I don't have fear. I think that was a deal last year, but as a lot of consumers, I don't think fear going in for COVID because there hasn't been a lot of stories about, oh my God. Huge COVID outbreak at this hospital. Don't go into the hospital. I think that's gone. But I would imagine again, you know, your survey results probably show this. There's going to be people who go into there more skeptical that we've seen a loss across the board in trust in experts, right? Whether that's the CDC, the FDA. And that also goes to doctors. That goes to hospitals. And so now you got people going in there and they're going to be more skeptical of what you're telling them. If I don't agree with what you're telling me, like we hear these stories and it makes you wonder whether they're true or not of people on their deathbed in the ICU arguing with the doctor about whether it's COVID and they're dying of COVID. How much will that spread? Are those just like super isolated and like one of a thousand people or were 25 or 30% of the people walking into a doctor's office moving forward, be pushing on the doctor? Like we used to have Dr. Google, right? Where people would walk in with their printouts. And they'd be like, well, I did my research now doing my research means a whole different thing. and hospitals have to be ready for that. We talk about that in the book related, not just to COVID, but also social justice, as an example, systems being forced to take a stand, but not everybody agrees with that stand. What do you do? But I think it depends and that the deal is health systems be ready for either one
0: what i love about your answer now i think we deal with this and i think a lot of our listeners deal with the fact that we're close to the fire on these things we have access to data we're flipping through the paper or scrolling on our phones looking for healthcare articles whereas the average consumer may be the opposite but you know you talked about how because of what you know you'll walk in and you'll show some empathy I've had the opportunity, I guess, to also experience some healthcare over the last 18 months. We had a baby. We had a baby a year ago. He just turned one. So we had a COVID baby pop up. like number five? (laughs) It's number four. (laughs) four. Okay, I was close. Sometimes it feels like five. You know, you're trying to do a head count, but we have this child and we showed so much empathy. I was grateful that I could even be in the building because there were some areas where it was just mom. And so we showed incredible empathy because of what we knew. But we know so much. So you'd ask yeah. about trust. You know, our data shows exactly the same thing, that there was this early surge in trust in individual experts. Like Fauci in April 2020 is different than right. Fauci today. And people were hanging on every word. And in our survey, that was number one. Who can lead us through COVID? It was a question we asked in our early COVID set. Number one was individual experts. Give me Fauci. Give me Burks. Give me everybody. Now it's completely flipped. It's individual experts are near the bottom. But interestingly enough, hospitals and health systems as organizations are now number one. So they've picked up that displacement. So it will be interesting to see as we emerge from this, what those interactions will be like, how they'll be different. I have to ask you about one interaction in particular that people have had over the last 18 months without leaving their house, and that's telemedicine. We dabbled in this. I know you've dabbled in this. I think a lot of people who never dabbled before have dabbled during covid are those sort of changes, now I've had quote unquote virtual healthcare experience maybe for the first time, are those sort of things going to stick? Do you see a change there or do you see the physician able to claw all that back and say you got to come see me in the flesh? What's going to happen with that?
1: Yeah, we put out a paper about a year ago called the end of the runway, which is referencing consumerism and that legacy hospitals and health systems have run on a runway to deal with consumerism. In a lot of ways. And we looked at trends moving forward and how much would they be permanent? So virtual care is one of the five things we looked at. And we looked at our own research. We pulled in McKinsey, all kinds of stuff, right? And I think virtual care is here to stay. We've obviously seen numbers drop back a little bit as things open back up. I hate to use myself because this is the worst thing you're ever supposed to do, right? Is project yourself on everybody else. I would used virtual care maybe a couple times for like, I think I got strep throat. My kids got strep throat. I'll call Teladoc, you know, they prescribe something done, right? I would never used it for my primary care doctor. I never used it. I see like three specialists for any of my specialists forced to use it. It was like somebody gave me, it's like that, the Lexus Christmas commercial where I walk outside and they like Lexus for Christmas. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm in my office just like this if they're late, I can work, I can read. I'm not reading Golf Digest from 2012. I'm not with a bunch of other people that might have COVID. I mean, Pandora's box has been opened. What the research shows is for a lot of consumers, there's no going back. There's no going back. And you can look at it generationally. You can look at it you know, based on a lot of demographics. But when we're counseling our clients, our health system clients, we're telling them, even though it feels like, okay, well, people can see me now. So let's slow down. Let's put, you should be doing the opposite. The yeah. mindset we tell them, right? Imagine you were starting a health system from scratch today. What you would do is create a system that is virtual first. Everything is virtual first. Everything you can possibly make virtual would be virtual. And in person is the secondary option or the only option, like surgery, clearly, right? But the default, like it is for Amazon, like try calling somebody at Apple or Amazon. (laughs) Good luck to you, right? Get back to me like four days when you actually reach a human being. Those businesses, which are coming for us, by the way, we can talk about that. They're set up that way because that's what people want. And so that's how health systems should think, which would be turning them upside down in some ways. But those that aspire to think that way and actually deliver on that are the ones that are going to and out ahead.
0: Let's dig in on that. So, you know, Atul Gawande just stepped down from Haven, which was Amazon's healthcare venture. You know, Google Health is taking a step back. It's not going to be exactly the same, but they're not leaving healthcare, if you will. What right. do you make of that? Because I sit in front of CEOs and board members who sort of fist bump, you know, yes. You know, healthcare is a little harder than You thought it was big tech, but obviously these companies are not going to go away. They have deep, deep pockets, right? And they've got the technological expertise. You just talked about how if we redesigned a health system, it'd probably look a lot more like Amazon before it would look like the hospital down the road. So what's your make of that? Are those tech companies eventually going to force the hand of so many people in this industry? Our incumbents, are they lost in this battle? Are they going to have to merge with or be bought out? What's your take on
1: that? The Haven news was emblematic of where this industry is, because when that happened, when Haven was shuttered in January, you could kind of hear the laughter through the halls of the industry of the legacy hospital and health system leaders and the people in the know, the people that have watched Amazon in particular go, oh no, that's not good news for you. Amazon's MO, they partner with people they kind of learn what they need to learn, and then they go off on their own. And now they're untethered from some silly triumvirate partnership. And you, we've already seen aggressive expansion into virtual care, first yes. to employers, now to anybody. These people are coming. The top five companies in the Fortune 500 are all 100% healthcare or majorly focused on healthcare. Apple, Walmart, Amazon, CVS Health, and United. So you can take United and CVS Health, 100%. Tim Cook said in an interview last year that he believed the ultimate legacy of Apple when all is said and done is their impact on healthcare. Amazon, people think Amazon is the one that could just come in and start swooping up market share. right? And then you've got Walmart. It is like all of these forces aligned against the legacy hospitals and health systems. And they're tripping a little bit. They're trying to align themselves, not to mention the hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in venture capital that's behind smaller, like two dozen primary care slash urgent care companies from Oak Street to One Medical. That's not going away. These people are not going away. In the book, one of the five predictions is all about this, is all about this battle and the next 10 years does not bode well for legacy systems. I will just tease that in the book.
0: Sure. And I think you make a great point. And I think you're right. There was you know, cheering in the halls. The way I read some of that news was if Amazon and Apple are having this much trouble and they're not going away, I agree with you. They're going to keep making runs at it. But in a weird way, it reminded me that it's hard to change healthcare, even if you're a healthcare system it is not easy to change. And so for those people out there that want to make some changes here, want to become more consumer centric, want to build their brand, want to create relationships instead of just episodes of care. It's a huge challenge. I want to close with your, I love the analogy of the end of the runway, right? I'm just, you know, thinking in my head of like the health systems that will just go teetering right off. But I also think there's others. And I think there's a lot of them. Hopefully some are listening who are saying, okay, we see the end of the runway. We want to pick it up. Maybe we're just almost just brushing the treetops, but we made it off the ground before the end of the runway. For those individuals within those companies who could have a good shot here of listening to their consumer, becoming more consumer-centric, keeping up with the climactic changes that are coming, what is your advice to them?
1: In some ways, it's just it's almost insurmountable, but, but I would say there are leaders in the industry that I would point to and say, look what they're doing. And two of them are highlighted in the book, Geisinger and Intermountain, right? We've heard about them. They're always held up as leaders and that's for good reason. But the thing with both of them is delivering care where people are at. So we've talked about virtual care, right? We've talked about the mindset of imagine everything is virtual and the exception is in person. Can you actually hold that mindset? Just that. Can you imagine walking into boardrooms or C-suites? How many of them would be able to embrace that, let alone actually operationalize it, right? So just embracing that, but it's not just about virtual care. One of the things we talk about in the paper of in the Runway is we call it smaller life spheres. We're all so much more used to just doing things in our house now, Yeah. Right. Like to me, I used to drive across the Twin Cities every day. Now going 20 minutes to my clinic feels like I'm traveling to Missouri. (laughs) Like, oh, my God, am I really going to have to drive all the way there? Everything's shrinking. And so you are going to have to go out. There's a new primary care company, and it's not the only one, but it's from Minnesota called Nice Health or Nice Healthcare. That's a primary care model built completely on house calls.
0: Wow. Right. So
1: it's got a combination of virtual, but it's all about taking care two people, right? What are your access points? How are you expanding those? How much can you push out? Like Clayton Christensen talked about this a decade ago in the innovators prescription. The only way we're actually for cost in the country was pushing things from the hospital to the outpatient, to the doctor's office, to the retail, to home, to virtual. That just has to happen like 10s, 10 for these legacy systems. If they can focus on that and make that happen, mountain and Geisinger, that's a huge part of their vision for the future is doing just that.
0: Right. And it's being done. It's possible. You, you said it's almost insurmountable. That's different from being insurmountable, right? And I, I, yes. I, hey, I love the way you talk about the smaller life spheres we've talked about this for years together, sometimes on the same stage about how you've got to get off campus as a hospital healthcare system brand and go out into the community where the consumer is. And that means going even further now, but you've given us a a lot to think about as always. It's great to talk to you about these things. It's scary. You've scared me a little bit during this time. And I think some of that is good because we know it's going to be a huge challenge to embrace these concepts post COVID. But I want to thank you as always for, for joining us again today.
1: Yeah, glad to be here. Sorry to scare you. We could have waited till October, <laughs> made it Halloween themed, but It's okay. It's it's in the season. It's, it's scary, but scary also means exciting. means opportunity. That's how I would think about it.
0: You got it. Scary, but exciting. There's plenty of opportunity out there. And thanks for sharing some of that with us today, Chris.
1: Yeah, thanks, Ryan.